0: it's five o'clock somewhere join us for some grown-up fun interesting and stimulating conversations that will motivate inspire or just make you laugh and for more grown-up fun visit our website the three tomatoes and the three is spelled out and sign up for our newsletters now sit back and relax and enjoy the episode well greetings tomatoes i'm cheryl benson and i'm host of today's happy hour episode And we're talking with Kate Somerset about dating in midlife. And she has a lot to say on this topic. She's the author of the recently published book, Mom, You Just Need to Get Laid, The Adventures of Dating After Divorce, which tells her hilarious true account of moving from Texas to New York City after her divorce and her foray into dating. The book tells the stories of 15 different men that she's dated. And um, you'll be charmed and amused and inspired by these stories. And by the way, it's also available as an audiobook. And now I'm gonna give a shameless plug. The audiobook was produced by the Three Tomatoes Book Publishing. So welcome, Kate, I'm so happy to have you here.
1: Thank you so much, Cheryl, I'm delighted to be here.
0: So first, I just wanna say that I, I really love, love this book. And it doesn't matter whether you're single or married or what place you are in your life. It's just a really fun and engaging read. Um, But certainly for single women in midlife uh, who are ready to start dating or like so many women I know who are doing online dating have actually gotten very disenfranchised with dating. uh, Your book is really a wonderful guide to approaching dating to in a in a very open and positive way where you actually have fun and i think throughout this book you know we see we see that and and we see all those stories so while your book is based on true stories of your dating experience we have to full, full disclosure here kate somerset is not your real name so tell us why you decided to use a pseudonym
1: There are at least three reasons why the first one is that I'm also working on a book about leadership and connection and had imagined that that book was, it will be published under my own name, that that should be the first book. Uh, But when some girlfriends heard my dating stories and thought that they were funny and unique enough that they could actually be a book. I started work on that book simultaneously. It's sort of a schizophrenic thing to do, but I began thinking, well, if I get this, this dating book finished first, because obviously it's the most fun thing to write, I shouldn't use my real name. So that was reason number one. Number two is that as I wrote about each man, organized the book, as you've already described, chapter by chapter, each chapter dedicated to a man, I could really write at arm's length. And when I thought about my name is Kate, it just made it simpler to imagine that if the children of these men perhaps picked up a book, knew that they had the dads had potentially dated me, and then read their account of the dads flirting, they might say, Oh my gosh, I didn't know my dad was like this. So I want to just give <laughs> space to everybody. But I think the most important reason is that I really want everyone to believe that they can be kate somerset i can't say that about myself but kate she is me but she's in some ways distant from me and then i think of her as a character who's approached dating in a certain way and i want people to be inspired and empowered to think that it could be a positive experience as it really has been for me
0: well that's great that's a really great explanation of why you made that that decision because a lot of times we think of pseudonyms as being something that's sort of you know old-fashioned you know they did that in the you know the early 1900s and a lot of different authors and uh, i think you're bringing it back so that's great <laughs> so let's get into this a little bit more so you were married for 30 years before you got divorced long time and then you basically made two very bold decisions the first was to move from texas new york city and then the second was to start dating again which you hadn't done in over 30 years obviously so let's start with the move decision what propelled you to make this move and was it a difficult
1: decision well what a great question i think that some some who have moved across country and have imagined their lives in a new way might have had the privilege of doing that with another person. As a single person, well, as a soon-to-be single person when I was separated and divorced and trying to figure out what to do next, I was empowered by the thought of moving to a different place where I, I could actually rewrite my life's story, but also frightened to death of it. New York City has always been a place I've loved. My daughter went to school, to boarding school during her high school years outside the city. So every chance I'd had, I came to the city. But even before that, as a tourist, you know, we all love New York and people from around the country make it an annual pilgrimage. At least for me, it was three times a year. And then when she was in school, it was every other month. So I love the thought of Being able to actually live in New York, it was a bucket list experience that I wanted to have for myself, but I needed to find work and I have always been in the nonprofit world. And so I needed to figure out how to make that work long distance. That was really scary because financially, it is a big decision to live in a place like New York that costs more money than than it costs in lots of other states. So that that was part of it. And the other thing is when you move to a city of 8 million people, you don't have roots i had roots for all the years that i lived in texas i was in a well-established uh, workplace setting i was and as well as my husband we were known in the community we really were able to sort of touch everyone's shoulder that we needed to know and when you give that up you start over again it's daunting but it's all worked for me i i, I think part of it is because i believe in being a connector and that gives you a chance to build relationships
0: Well, kudos to you. I mean, that was really a very brave and gutsy thing that you did. And I know there are a lot of women who get divorced and, you know, they may be thinking about making changes. They may be living in the suburbs where, you know, everyone is still married or they're not really feeling comfortable with that. And sometimes they'll move into a city near them, but you really made the big move. And as we all know, visiting New York as a tourist is very different than actually living in New York. So did you feel a little bit like Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz? Like, you know, we're not in Texas anymore, people.
1: (laughs) I love that analogy. I don't know what New Yorkers think of Texans. I'm sure it changes daily based on, you know, your political persuasion and all of that. But there are some sophisticated people in Texas and yet sophistication on Texas terms versus New York terms is different. Yes, it does feel very different, as you say, to not be a tourist, but to be a resident. It was everything. It was negotiating the subway system. It was figuring out how to do food shopping. Here I walk right. across the street from my apartment building and I'm buying something every day. And you don't do that when you live in Texas. You get in the car and you go to the big mega store and you buy. And it was also hearing languages, different languages, you know, around around my neighborhood, I can stand on a street corner and hear 10 different accents, not just New York accents, but languages. And it's, it's so unique to be able to rub shoulders with people that are very different from you. And so while yes, it is daunting, it also is exhilarating. I, I've loved the experience of feeling like I'm part of the greatest city in the world. It's been fantastic.
0: Well, that's great. And as a New Yorker, I like to hear that (laughs) we're glad you, we're glad you picked New York city. So once you were settled in New York, your next bold move was to start dating. And I can imagine after 30 years of being, you know, married, that had to be very scary too. I mean, I know just so many women are like, "I, I don't even know how to start. So how did you get started and how did you sort of push yourself into Taking those first steps.
1: The first step is to decide that you want to date. Many women who are divorced, and in and and whether it's a traumatic separation or whether it's amicable, is really probably irrelevant to figuring out that you that you might want to begin this process of dating again. And dating is so different. You mentioned thirty years. Well, the experience of dating then versus dating now is so uniquely. Change. There's no playbook. No matter how many books you read or how many people who encourage you to do this or that, you don't know until you do it yourself and figure out what your own style and, and your own way to relate to people is. But what I first decided to do was to go online. And I did it only because I thought it was its like the speed dating version of dating. You can't meet as many people in person, whether somebody introduces you, which for me would have been more difficult since I didn't know people in this community as readily as I would have known someone in Texas to do that for me. But you simply you're not going to run into people in the grocery store or, you know, in a in a you know, in a subway or whatever it is that wherever the location is, you think you might say hello to someone. It just doesn't happen over the transom as simply as it does online. So I created a dating profile, which in and of itself is its own experience. And I described myself in that process and gathered some photos. And then I researched the dating sites that I thought might make most sense for me. And there's so many out there that you really have to do some due diligence joined five and started at this process by thinking about it like it was a job and not a not in a painful way. I thought, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm really going to do this. The first week, I think I've completed my dating profile on Memorial Day, May 31st. It was, you know, five years ago. And I uh, had the next week, beginning in June, I had eight dates in seven days. So obviously I had two on one date, one was lunch, one was dinner. But I thought, boy, this is really fun, you know? I I actually, not all eight were good by any means, but it was the process of doing it that to me was fun. I love to be, I'm a planner and I love being able to figure out next steps. And so that part was was just uh, enjoyable. And then after I began to understand which of these five sites made more sense for me, I spent more time on a couple of them and they turned out to be where I met most, most of the people. But you do have to, some people say, okay, what's so scary about it is I had five bad experiences and I'm just going to stop. I had in my dating life, I chose to write about 15 men, but there were 50 and I, so I could I could actually write another book, pull, you know, at least 15 more that would make really great stories. But I would say that of the 50, there were, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, 20% were wonderful and the rest were not, but I learned a lot through all of it. And I always approached it in a way that made me feel like I was progressing. If something went badly, I didn't let it get me down.
0: Well, that's that is so that is so great. And I think any woman listening right now who is thinking about dating or is online dating can really learn a lot from your approach. And and throughout the book, you see it because you have um, such an openness to meeting other people. And I think that comes of your knowing how to connect really well background. And we'll talk a little bit about how you made the con- interesting ways that you connected with some of these men before you actually met them and, and, and went on a date, which I think made things interesting, but you just whole approach of I'm going to be open about this and have fun and learn something from each of these. And I think that's such a wonderful, positive attitude that has made your experiences different than what we hear from a lot of other women who, um, you know, sometimes, Um, just rule someone out very quickly when maybe they should spend a little time with this person or look for little things, um, that they, you know, they, they didn't like right away. So they kind of, you know, ended and all of those kind of, I think mistakes that a lot of women seem to make along the way that makes their dating experiences, uh, less fun than yours or let's put it that way (laughs) so what so tell us a little bit about which i think was really interesting how you connect with people how you connected with people before you actually met them
1: i actually have found that talking to people on the phone at length has given me a picture a window into understanding who they are and if they're willing to do that with me then i go into that first meeting knowing a lot. And this may come from my years of raising money for nonprofits, but when you build authentic relationships with people that are going to support the mission that you're you're representing, they appreciate that relationship as much as they appreciate the cause. And I have always been a serious note taker. So if I were meeting you for the first time and we were on a phone call together to get introduced, I would be writing notes about what you said about yourself. And then when I saw you and met you, I would refresh my memory. And then I would start there so that we didn't have to do it again in person, or I could build on what we learned. So I took that same approach. When I began dating, I would have these amazingly wonderful phone calls with a lot of people. And I'd learn something or a lot of some things. And so when we met, they would often say to me, "How did you remember that I told you that?" Well, it's not difficult if you take notes right. and you and you keep up with it. And so, and it wasn't done in a way to uh, to benefit you know nefariously. It was really done in a way to help me plan better for the conversations that I would have with these people. The second thing I would say about the process before I ever met someone is that I ask a lot of questions. It's my way to get to know a person. I, I really, if they try to give me the floor, I'll always do my best to turn it back towards them so that I can really focus on who they are. And then that gives me a way to know how I, where I fit in. I've had a number of people say to me, not just men, but we'll say in the dating world the, the story often goes that someone will say to me you're so interesting and they don't know a thing about me but what they remember is that I've asked them questions that got them talking and so for some reason they think that makes me interesting well it just makes it just makes me a good interviewer but that's that's okay if that's what it takes for them to feel engaged and comfortable then I'm all for it
0: well people i mean people in every situation like it when they feel that people listen to them and that you're interested in them. So I think obviously you made all of these uh all of these men that you dated, you know, feel that. So that's a really good way to start off for sure. So in your in your book, you tell 15 different stories, and they're all the names are all so funny. So they're like Cupido the conductor, Mac the matchmaker, Kane the canine lover. Um, and by the way, another thing that I really think speaks, um, volumes for you is that, um, that you said you're still friends with at least half of these men. And, um, I think that's really terrific, even though you're not dating, you know, this particular group anymore. So could you just give a few highlights of some of the, some of the men that you dated and some of the things that you learned along the way?
1: Well, this is the most fun part for me to to think about these people and you're so right that I am friends with a number of them and feel very close to them if, just for the experiences that we had uh, you know staying in touch is really fun uh, when the when the book was first published, I sent them uh, a, a notification that it was out and I promised obviously to get them a copy when I could, but several of them jumped the gun and bought it early and said, oh, I couldn't wait. I had to read my chapter. I was so nervous and I was also so excited. And not one person said about what I wrote about them that it was anything other than extremely positive. I would never want to, even if the experiences weren't Terrific. I would never want to judge someone or put someone down. And so I let the reader figure that out for themselves. So let me just tell you about three of them. One, the first one is Saul the sailor. And of course, as you referenced, these aren't, these names have been changed and I had to change them to a letter for the alliteration that would match their profession. So as a sailor, I needed an S name. And what happened with a lot of these people was that I began thinking of them as the book name, not their real name. And I have trouble thinking who was that person. But anyway, so Saul was someone that I met. uh, The first meeting was at a coffee shop at Grand Central. And it was at very last minute, I actually had another date with another person who's referenced in the book that evening, but he wanted to meet me. So we met And at the very first of our conversation. I could tell he was just looking me up and down. And I don't mean in terms of admiring what I was wearing or my physique. It was more sort of, he had a mental checklist and he wanted me to figure in every one of these boxes on his checklist, which I couldn't see because he was looking for a partner. He really wanted to get married again. And it was so obvious that he was scrutinizing me to see if I fit as a potential mate. Now I had been divorced you know, at that point, probably about a year, and had been in New York maybe three months. And so he was one of the first people that I ever met. And I had no plans to be in a relationship. I was just dating people to get to know the community and to build my own community. So we have this hour long conversation in which he's doing the interviewing. Unlike what I just said a moment ago, I tried very hard to take the floor, but he. He kept asking questions, you know, one of his big questions was where I went to school and where I lived, I had to be the right pedigree for him. And then he tells me that he's he's a sailor, his real work was elsewhere, it was in the community in Manhattan, but four months of the year he went sailing and he went to Sweden and he had a boat that he had there for 17 years, it was a big, a, you know, a big part of his life. And so at the end of our meeting, he said, um, you know, I think I could take you anywhere. Now, this he'd never taken me anywhere at that point, but this was his conclusion. And so within 48 hours, he had asked me if I would come to his house. He wanted me to see how he lived, which was very opulently, that was a lifestyle he had. But he said, you know, you need to know all about me. And then a day later, he asked me if I would meet him in Sweden to, to go sailing now. I'm from Texas. I'd never sailed in my life and the thought of flying across the country to go sailing with someone was was beyond anything that I could ever imagine in my first month of dating. So I I said no initially. I said actually I'd think about it, but it was leaning towards a no. But then I had in my female group of friends some encouragers who said, "You're never going to get a chance like this. You should just go." So I went to REI and bought all the gear. You know, what, is, <laughs> what do you take on a sailing trip? You know, nothing. It's freezing in the summertime in Sweden. And so I did make the trip and it was quite an experience. And you'll have to, well, you've read the book, but yes. your listeners will need to listen to the book or, or uh, you know, read the book. And I would say just, just a toss off here to the brilliant um, narrator who did this book, um, she was able to get accents from so for so many of these men just get the tone and get it all right. And when you listen to these stories as opposed to reading them, they come to life in a way that is just for me, it's like living it all again. And so when I hear of this story in particular and all the experiences on that boat and hear her voice, it, it's really truly so much fun. So uh, the lesson that I learned from, from that dating experience was that it's important for for you as the person who's dating to know what your agenda is. My agenda was not to get married, not to be in a serious relationship at that point, and his was different than mine. And that's one of the reasons that one didn't really work out very well. Don't want to do a spoiler alert. You still need to hear the chapter. Right. Um, the second one you referenced earlier, and I think it's so important, and that is not to prejudge people you mentioned Cubito, the conductor, and uh, if I, if you could have asked me in Texas what I've ever gone out with a train conductor, I would have told you that didn't seem like anything I could even imagine. And yet I did that, and I didn't judge him based on his occupation. And then he wore a uniform and a cap, and he, you know, he clicked the tickets and all that. Um, but I, I would say that it was really an interesting experience. I even got to. Go see the switching station in Penn Station, which was just a remarkable opportunity. And who gets to do this? And what—that was not an end gold of mine. I had no idea I would even get to do it, but it was—it was about not prejudging him, meeting him where he was, understanding who he was, and learning that friendship was the right thing in that situation. But it was still such a fun experience. So I—I I definitely would say about Kate that she or I don't want to prejudge someone based on their occupation or their income or where they live or you know some other item that that might be you know on your list of I've got to have these to check them off to go out with the person yeah uh, the, that the was first- a great
0: that was actually uh, that was a great story and it was really one of my favorites in the book because I think of just all the things that you just said and you know, not prejudging and no, that wasn't going to be someone you were going to be with forever, but it was someone who was a nice guy. You had You had fun. Who gets to go to Penn Station to see what you got to see? And uh, it was it was a, a good experience for you. So there's a lesson there, too, for all you women out there who may be prejudging
1: some of these guys. <laughs> And I can tell you a third one, if you have time around. Sure. Yeah, okay. absolutely. So, so the third one, I would say third lesson would be to take yourself less seriously, to be playful. And when you've been entrenched in a in a marriage or anything that you've done for years, you might lose that playful edge. It's sort of like kids are so curious and they have, they have this wonderful imagination. And so when you can approach dating with that same sense of wonder, it can give you an, a set of fun experiences that you wouldn't have before. So one of the men that I wrote about, one of my one of my favorites in the book is Anderson, the actor, and Anderson is actually a dentist, but he is a, a regional actor of Long Island, and he also is a competitive ballroom dancer, so he's a really interesting person. And he had decided once we began dating that one of his fantasies was that he wanted to set up a scenario in a wonderful New York restaurant that would allow him to approach me as if he didn't know me. And so he created this opportunity for me to play into that fantasy by sending me a text invitation as if we'd never met. And he told me where we were going to meet. He told me in the text that I that he'd heard from a friend that I would be a great dinner companion. And I asked him what I should wear. And he told me that he was a visual man and he wanted me to choose my own outfit, but that he would appreciate anything that was appealing in that way. And so I wore this great red lace dress and I wore my, my heels and I went to the bar and waited for him and he appeared and we we played the, the roles just as if we were on a stage. And it was so much fun to do it. And there was an ending that I, I don't want to give you because uh, it, 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 there's a twist to that story for sure, that experience, but that playfulness and that opportunity to, to step out of the role, whatever we think we're playing and to to be in someone's fantasy was just a unique experience for me. And I would encourage everybody to try that.
0: Well, those are great. And there's one more and it's um, Ezra, the entrepreneur, which was one of my favorite stories in the book because it was a really, really romantic, certainly very romantic first date that you had. And we're actually going to play some highlights of that first date from your audio book. You mentioned the narrator and I want to give her a huge shout out. She's actress and voiceover actress and she did an incredible job and her name is Laura Patinkin. So now let's take a listen.
2: Awash in the glow of the evening's performance, we departed the theater on a high. Eh, what about a carriage ride in Central Park? he asked. You are an incurable romantic, I exclaimed. How could I say no? The evening had turned chilly, and I was grateful for the thick blanket Ezra placed over our laps. As the horse pulled away from the curb... Our carriage was all red, with red leather cushions and red carnation flowers. A red leather plume adorned the horse's bridle halter. The steady clip-clop of hooves on the pavement was punctuated with the whispered, encouraging murmur from the driver to his steed. Twinkling lights illuminating New York City skyscrapers, the glow of lamps casting shadows in Central Park— and the natural beauty of the park's surroundings were mesmerizing. I was truly sorry when the ride ended 30 minutes later. We came to a stop directly across from the hotel. It was almost midnight. I was feeling slightly weary. The return from my week-long sailing trip had taken a toll, and the anticipatory adrenaline buildup for this date had now been depleted by champagne wine and the highs of dinner, theater, and the carriage ride. "'Let's head to the room,' Ezra said, guiding me to the elevator. Then it hit me. This man was wide awake, and we were going back to a room with roses and chocolates. I wasn't sure sleep was on the agenda.' I'm still not certain how he pulled it off, but there was now a chocolate cake, china plates, linen napkins, and more chilled champagne when we arrived back at the room, and the candles were lit. It occurred to me that he had made friends with the hotel staff, who assisted him in creating luxurious and captivating first dates. And it also occurred to me that maybe I had agreed to be dessert. The cake was delicious, decadent, and dream-inducing. After a giant slice and a half and another glass of champagne, I happily kicked off my shoes and laid sideways on the bed. Four hours later, I awoke, fully clothed, under the covers, and laying with my head on the pillow. Ezra was sound asleep beside me. I quietly slipped out of bed. Once inside the large marble bathroom, I closed the door behind me and removed my clothes. Luxuriating in a long hot shower, I reflected on the most remarkable first date I had ever had.
0: So that was wonderful. And that just that's that gives you a flavor for the book and the writing and what it's like to actually listen to it as an audio book. Uh, But as romantic as that started out, you and Ezra were not a forever match. Um, And in fact, none of the men in the book were forever matches. But as we said earlier, I think what was really remarkable is that you've remained friends with so so many of these people. And um, as I said, there's so many women who talk about their really miserable online dating experiences. Not only have you enjoyed your dating experience, but you've, you've, you made it a point to learn things from each one of those. And I think that's what makes your book very powerful and makes it a really good guide, uh, for anyone dating. And, and then of course the stories are fun and entertaining for those of us who aren't dating. So could you just share a little bit of your dating advice, maybe, maybe two or three really good points. And by the way, Kate, um, there's a column once a month for the three tomatoes called Date Like, Date Like, Kate, where she shares her uh, her dating advice. So maybe give us a, two or three good pieces of advice here.
1: Sure. Well, I thank you first of all for letting me write that column because it's really fun for me to be able to translate some of these lessons into advice for your many um, your many readers. The first one I would say, and I referenced it a moment ago, but It is decide what your dating agenda is. When I decided I was going to date, when I came to New York, my agenda was to build community for myself. And so that meant I was not going to hold too tightly to the dream of romance. I wasn't thinking that I needed to have a lifelong partner. I was looking for a chance to meet people, make friends, and even experience New York. And I did that on a lot of my dates. The the chapters, as you know, are set in New York City. And there's a reference to a lot of famous places that people know. And and I got to experience that on dating. So that was my agenda. But but some people uh, would have the agenda of wanting to find romance. And that would be ruling how they decided whether dates would go forward or not. A lot of people aren't clear. They never even think about it. They don't even think what that agenda might be. Maybe they're just operating on the premise that Dating will lead to a permanent relationship, but often it does not, and so that may be why people are disappointed, why they don't think it's fun, why they are uh, they're disillusioned with the process. So again, know what your agenda is, and once you know it, then you can be clear even with the people that you're going out with. I'm not, I'm not here to uh, to get married again. I'm not here to uh, find a permanent relationship. I'm here to meet people. So. That would be one of my first rules of advice to give others. Another one would be that I think you need to set your expectations for what is a good date. And so some people will say a good date is going out and meeting someone for a cup of coffee and talking for 30 minutes. That's good. That's really not what I wanted. I wanted a longer conversation, a, a a, a more interesting kind of event and some of what you know from seeing the book is the chapters that I described there any it's anything but having coffee in fact I don't think there is a one of the 15 men yet uh, that I wrote about that that's all the date really was but my expectations included things like I wanted the dates that I went out with to have great manners I grew up in the south I feel that courtesy and great manners are really important and so I would make a not a judgment but I would at least think about what I was seeing in front of me about manners I also appreciate appreciate generosity and that's not about always having the man pay but on the first date it's it struck me as important that the man would offer to pick up the tab whatever it was and then if there were more dates you know obviously i could reciprocate but so you need to know what you expect and if you expect the person to pick up the tab and they don't pick up the tab then how do you feel about that relationship going forward and i think you know a third aspect of that is what do you want to have happen on that date you I know mean, how do you what would you be disappointed if the if the man Uh, didn't communicate with you for two weeks or do you want to hear from them the next day and how do you want to hear from them what do you consider good communication because I love to to write I'm a texter I'm a phone caller I'm I'm a person who wants to stay in touch and I like to hear a lot from people but others don't they'd be happy with a lot of separation so just know what your expectations are for the date know what your agenda is for dating and then also decide uh, I think what, what it is that, that really is your, you know, your brand. And we were talking a lot about that with the last column that I did for mm-hmm. the three yep, tomatoes. Yep. And we'll be picking up more of that. Who, what makes you unique and different? If you want to describe yourself to someone, you need to know what your brand is before you ever can write a, a dating profile.
0: That is really wonderful advice. Thank you for sharing that. And as I said, they can find out more advice from you at the three tomatoes too so before we leave and i can't believe how fast this has gone because we could be we would love to hear about all 15 of these guys i know but they're going to have to read the book to to get that but before we leave i have to ask is kate still dating or has she found someone special
1: Well, I will be cagey and say to you that because there are 15 more stories that I could do a sequel about, I'm going to say at arm's length that I have met many wonderful people and that I've enjoyed that process and that Kate's agenda for dating might have changed from the beginning when that was all about meeting people and building community. But uh, you'll just have to read the book and sort of guess uh, where or listen to the book and sort of guess where Kate's affections uh, were matched with someone else's.
0: Well, very good and cagey answer. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I really want to thank you for being my guest today. This was so enjoyable, and and as I said, everyone really rush out, go online, go to the bookstore. You need to get this book. It's available in print. It's available in an ebook. And as I said, the audiobook version is just absolutely delightful to listen to. And, you know, you can listen to it when you're exercising or running or traveling or whatnot. It's it's just so well done. So again, the book is Mom, You Just Need to Get Laid. And I just love, love, love the uh, love the title of the book. And by the way, I don't think we actually talked about how We we got the title. So let's quickly. Okay, very quickly. Hello, everyone.
1: Yeah. I have one one daughter, um, and when she was 18, when I was separated, before I got the divorce in Texas, we were having a – Discussion uh, on it on an evening which a lot of friends over and she'd taken over my computer chair and I wanted it back and she kept arguing with me and told me I didn't have a life and I was demanding and I was bossy and she finally exited the chair and as she did, she was going to just have one more toss-off phrase so she turned and looked at me and she said, Mom, you know what? You just need to get laid. And so when when I when I realized that there was more to that and I said, no, there's no way, that's impossible. But anyway, uh, when I thought about writing the book and I remembered she'd said that to me, I thought, oh my gosh, that would be an incredible title. But I had to get her permission first, which well,
0: she did. It yeah, it's an absolutely perfect title and it just makes the book even so much more fun. So as I said, go out, get the book, mom, you just need to get laid. And um, to learn more, you can go to katesomerset.com and you can follow hashtag date, like Kate on social media. So thank you so much, Kate, and we'll have to, we have the next book, we'll have to have you back so we can find out more about the adventures of dating Kate.
1: That would be fun. Thank you so much, Cheryl. I so appreciate it.